0: I want to know why we love to worship. Where does that come from? What makes us want to worship, whether it's a higher power or another human? I think we want someone to take care of us. I think a lot of our desire to join cults is, is very much connected to the fact that we come from a patriarchal culture, patriarchal society. I think we're looking for a a dad figure, for lack of a better phrase, Um, someone to be in charge and, and
1: take care of everything. Hello, and welcome to Here in L.A., Lincoln Heights edition. Today, we talk with Jane Borden. Jane is a journalist who regularly writes for The Washington Post and Vanity Fair. She's the author of I Totally Meant to Do That. And next year, she'll have a new book out about cults. We'll talk about religion, comedy, improv, and living it up in Lincoln Heights. So please welcome Jane Borden. Hey everybody, I am in Lincoln Heights with Jane Borden. Hi. Jane, this is a fantastic house that you have here. Oh, thank you. An actual house. Yes. Which, are you Gen X like me?
0: Oh yeah. This is the American dream, right? I, I enjoy it. It's it's small but mighty.
1: You grew up in uh, North Carolina. I did. I saw. I, I did. I did a little bit of research on you. Not okay. a lot. I tried to shy away from being too professional. <laughs> but you were on a North Carolinian books interview session. Yeah. yeah. Was it like PBS or something? But it was the local.
0: Uh, Yes, public television station.
1: And this gentleman seemed to be shocked that you actually enjoyed your time in New York City.
0: It was it D.G. Martin? <laughs> D.G. Martin, he's a great guy. Seemed uh, like
1: a, no, it seemed like a, yeah. a very nice man. Yeah. But he was like, you were addicted to living in New York City? <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, people don't. people in the South don't really get it. You know, one refreshing thing about California is that California doesn't really care about the, like... Southern redneck versus Yankee nonsense that um, was just low-level, constantly present in my life. Mm -hmm. Uh, The South and the North are still harboring resentment uh, in a completely ridiculous way. Uh, I mean, we used to... like Yankee was like an epithet that you could toss around at someone who wasn't from around there. You know what Mm. I mean? Uh, and then, of course, everyone in New York, you're, You mean, my I, I lost my accent quickly, just not from any effort. I think it's just the way I am. Um, but when you hear a Southern accent up there, I mean, just ridicule. Really? Oh, yeah. Um, Even and, though it's the melting pot. Well, you know, rednecks are like one of the only groups it's still OK to make fun of. Mm. Um. Not that it should be okay to make fun of any groups, just Whoa. just to be clear. But uh, but yeah, and that's that's alive and well. It's a rich, rich tradition of redneck bashing uh, in the north. But and so and so, my book was like very much about this distinction between the north and the south, and how um, I was kind of this, this identity crisis that came from trying to embody two sides of this distinction, and then move out to Southern California, and no one cares at all. Like, just total no acknowledgement. Very refreshing.
1: This is your book, uh, I Meant to Do That?
0: I totally meant to do that. I totally
1: meant to do that. Sorry. Yeah, my
0: first book. Are you the culture editor for Vanity Fair? No, no, no. I'm a culture writer for for Vanity Fair. Culture writer. Which is to say I freelance for Vanity Fair uh, from time to time, although I've been doing it now for more than a decade, I think, which is wild. Um, But it's fun. I I came up in culture writing. That's how I cut my teeth at Time Out New York, Mm -hmm. Um, which is, was, was uh, an independent weekly in the city, not unlike some of the wonderful independent weeklies we have in Los Angeles, LAist,
1: old school LAist especially included among. Speaking of... Do you know that you emailed me when I was running LAist? No. So I did. I I couldn't remember how we set up this interview um, on paper. And I was trying to like verify that it was at two o'clock and not three o'clock. And so I was like, did you DM me on Instagram, on Twitter? Uh Did you text me? Like, isn't it crazy? Like people can reach you all these different ways. Uh It doesn't make uh any sense. So I searched your name uh, in my Gmail and from 2006 comes an email wow. from you saying, "Hey, we've got this comedy show going on in LA. Are you guys down to write about it?"
0: Wow, you were
1: hustling even back
0: then. 2006, I was still living in New York then. Yeah,
1: it was. It was. I think your name at Time Out New York. Oh, and
0: I was out here visiting friends, doing a bunch of shows. Is that
1: what it was? It
0: must have been. Huh.
1: Wow. Yeah. That's wild. Worlds (laughs) collide, huh? The the planet is tiny, really. Yeah. Okay, so let's talk about culture. Oh, okay. So, you live in Lincoln Heights. Oh, oh, you're saying by the park park, Lincoln Park.
0: Yes, there's there's a Lincoln Park that um, was originally called East East Lake Park. It was designed to be the east side equivalent of West Lake.
1: Oh, I never knew that.
0: Yes, so Lincoln Heights is the... um, Uh, first suburb of los angeles this is why i'm doing this
1: podcast
0: (laughs) who knew this did you know this before you moved here no no i but i've enjoyed learning about the neighborhood since settling
1: okay so lincoln heights and okay let's just talk about lincoln park for just a quick second okay it's where i got my covid shot my first one and i cried in that park after i got it i was so happy
0: oh what a beautiful park it's great yeah it's
1: way bigger than I thought, and so it makes sense that it that it's the the twin uh, kind of of, of Westlake because mm-hmm. it too is big over here. Mm-hmm. But I would con would you consider this East Los Angeles or the East Side, quote unquote? Uh, I, yeah, I
0: consider this part of the East Side. Yeah, yeah. For Controversial
1: sure. topic. I won't.
0: Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> East LA is different, but but East Side, yeah.
1: Course, I mean it's right? not
0: it's not part of Nela technically.
1: Right. Or Nila, right. however you pronounce that. Which I f- I feel like kind of ends at like Eagle Rock up there and Highland Park. Hmm. But you're on this side of mm-hmm. um the east side of everything. Dodger yeah. Stadium. Yeah. The river. Yeah. So it's its own thing, huh?
0: Uh-huh. Okay.
1: Um what drew you to this place?
0: To Lincoln Heights or to Los Angeles? To Lincoln Heights. Well, um, my husband works in Pasadena, um, and we wanted to be close enough for him to ride his bike because we were a one-car family at the time. So, How um, adorable is that? <laughs> and we wanted to be close, closer to downtown and, and the city that's west of here. Um, and this neighborhood is beautiful it's really residential um Mm -hmm. there's a lot of undeveloped land so there's wonderful like hiking and walking um and it's got a lot of history and it's got a lot of culture it's got a lot of diversity um, sure does because of its history uh and we feel so lucky to have found somewhere here that um you know that made sense
1: so your is your husband like a a cyclist cyclist or he was just Let's just be like hippies and ride these places.
0: (laughs) Somewhere in between, he is one of those people that um, has to exercise all the time, which is something I don't understand. My body does not work that way, (laughs) um, but God bless him. So he's, he's always getting into something. But yeah, he was cycling like seven miles a day to and from work.
1: You have a very handsome husband, by the way.
0: Oh, my goodness.
1: (laughs) Who would you say that he looks like, celebrity-wise?
0: Well, I will say that um, the first day of his current job, there was a rumor going around that Paul Rudd was on campus. Exactly.
1: He does look like Paul Rudd.
0: He does. He does a little bit, yeah. Yeah.
1: Which, what a score. (laughs) Sexiest man in America, I think. That's right. That's right. Not bad. Yeah. Where'd you meet the the twin of the sexiest man of America?
0: We met in a coffee shop randomly. We were sitting next to each other.
1: Were you writing, writing, writing?
0: Yeah, I was writing. I was working on my first book. He was studying for his oral exams for his PhD work. And uh, we just started talking and then became long distance friends and then there was a long distance romance uh, until we got married and packed up his apartment in Chapel Hill and packed up my apartment in um, Gowanus, Brooklyn, uh, and made our way.
1: So, you guys broke all the rules. First of all, <laughs> we're, as men, instructed do not bother women when they're working.
0: <laughs> well, I st- struck up the conversation Did you with really? I Yeah, yeah.
1: You just couldn't help yourself
0: that's I'm kind of
1: kind of how I am that's awesome yeah and then the long distance thing a lot of people say never seems to work
0: you know I think if we hadn't been long distance it wouldn't have worked because it's just a variety of of my
1: personal commitment issues perhaps <laughs> were your parents divorced when you were young no so what's up with the commitment then I don't know, you know, and um, my therapist hasn't really helped me all that much either. <laughs> well, lay down on the couch. Hundred bucks later, we'll figure it out. <laughs> let's uh, let's talk about your forthcoming book. Okay because I love the subject.
0: Great. Cults. Yes,
1: yes. I like cults because um, I think it taps into part of some human nature, which I would consider to be lazy. Hmm. I don't want to do X, Y, and Z in life. Yeah, I just want to let the the, usually man in charge, almost always the man in charge, Are there cults with women in charge?
0: Oh, yeah, for sure. Those are super fascinating to me for that reason. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I'll just do whatever he says, and Mm -hmm. I won't judge. I'll just say yes and no. or Actually, I'll just say yes. Right.
0: You can't really say no.
1: Right. Do you think that that humans want to be like that?
0: Uh, It's a very interesting point you bring up. I think about it quite a bit. The argument to that would be... Well, if people are lazy, then why do they join these cults where they work all day? Where they mm-hmm. work like 16-hour, 20-hour days for free. Mm-hmm. Hard labor, manual labor. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a different kind of laziness, I think, that we're talking about.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, also, they don't know that that's what's going to happen when they walk in the door. And they get love-bombed, right? Oh, do they? Yeah, that's 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 the term that um, people use for the initial experience a new recruit has in a group. Um, people are coming up to them, telling them how much they love this place and how wonderful you are and you would be so great here. And here's all the wonderful things we do. And, um, a lot of cults will, if it's a male recruit, they'll send like the pretty girls to go get him. That's a thing that's been done a few times. Um, so that's called Love Bombing mm-hmm. in, in the cult vernacular. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I would argue that people don't know they're going to have to work that hard yeah. until it's too late. So my book in particular is tracing certain facets of cult-like thinking that went secular. Um, and then kind of found their way into different parts of American culture where we don't recognize them as such because it's secular. So um, I've been tracing um, recently, one thread I've been tracing is the desire for uh, comfort and convenience in the history of mankind. Um, We've always wanted more comforts, more convenience. And um, I think in our quest for that, Uh, a lot of justifications have to be made because it's comfort and convenience at the expense of whom? Mm -hmm. Often, almost always, even if that's not readily apparent. If you dig a little deeper, that's there. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think often tenets of cult-like thinking are used for that purpose, to justify the comfort and convenience. Because if you're chosen, if you're one of the chosen people, then you deserve a b and c right mm-hmm. so i think that also kind of speaks to your laziness question a little bit mm-hmm.
1: does your book get political at all because they uh people are saying that maga is a is a cult
0: yeah um the arguments uh there's some really persuasive arguments about the combination of maga and q oh
1: yeah forgot about them yeah, yeah, they're kind of they're coming back a little bit. I guess I just don't take that seriously at all. Am I foolish yeah. to do that?
0: Well, here's the thing. Like what what about it? Are you taking seriously because perhaps None. you don't take the doctrine seriously, but the fact that however many number, however many huge number of people following it and the ramifications of that is something to be taken seriously, right?
1: So it's it really is a real thing, and there's lots oh, of people yeah. that, that buy into it.
0: Oh yeah, huh. yeah yeah yeah. It's taken over people's lives. They give ever over everything to it.
1: I I I I don't know why I just blew it all off. I guess I did.
0: Well, I mean, you know, I think that's our tendency. I mean, I I was just watching. Uh, I'm I'm gonna be uh, writing about this one group, uh, Church Universal and Triumphant, from the 80s. Well, really 50s up through the 90s, still around in part. But um, there Ted Koppel interviewed the leader in I think 1991, maybe I can't remember the exact date. And he was so dismissive, so dismissive of the group. Uh, you know, he said in his introduction to the to camera before she even came on screen. Uh, you know, well, like, I can't believe we're doing this story, basically, more or less. You know, like, it's a, this is usually the kind of story you'd save for a slow news day. I think oh that's God. how he put it. Is this on
1: Nightline, his show? Nightline, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then
0: several more times throughout, it just, like, completely perplexed that a person of his stature was <laughs> giving airtime to this. Yeah. Um, and I think the media behaves that way at its own peril, because these groups have huge effects on um, not just American culture, but um, policy, mm-hmm. elections, mm-hmm. Um, as well as you know when when they're often connected with hate groups. Right. So I, I think we have to take it seriously, okay. um, and. Even if even if you don't take what their beliefs seriously, the fact that they believe is a serious thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, one of my goals with this book is to un- understand how and why this happens, because it's been with us forever. Yeah, and it's not going away. Um, in fact, we're we're headed into a golden age of cults right now. So I think it's really important to understand all of this. Um, and. As a comedian, um, (laughs) you know, I'm trying to inject humor here and there, but delicately, because the last thing I want to do is belittle people for their beliefs, Mm -hmm. even if I don't agree with them. Um, And in fact, I think the belittling is part of the problem, and I think it feeds the divide, and I think it feeds um,
1: people joining these groups. The Trump thing blows my mind also, because again we're about the same age you're you're far younger in my heart <laughs> um who would have ever thought
0: oh yeah that he
1: would be that, that guy, the godhead
0: that guy that we grew up with yeah
1: <laughs> all people
0: i know if you can separate yourself from all of it um it's delightful <laughs> oh yeah but yet it but yet it's not a delightful a twist of of events but but yet it's not but but this
1: is why this is why I do podcasts because I love people. This is why I love people because they're unpredictable. This is why mm-hmm, I love books mm-hmm. because our our favorite books there's twists that you'd never have expected mm-hmm, mm-hmm. in Who Done It? That guy did it. That guy became president. Mm-hmm. That guy became a cult leader. Him, yeah, yeah. The guy who looks like he's wearing a diaper right now is is the guy that you will march on on Capitol Hill. These people didn't know that there was no guns in in the holsters of the Capitol Police. They were doing a suicide mission, if you Mm. ask me. For what? Yeah, the
0: January 6th thing is wild.
1: For a part of the Constitution that doesn't even exist. Their belief that the vice president could overturn the election. That in this democracy, one person could void Mm. millions of votes. All of that, they're willing to die for. And now willing to go to jail for yeah, for so that Trump could have four more years. Is this like it on other cults? When you see those leaders, are they also unpredictably the leader, or do these people actually have charisma?
0: Hmm. Um, charisma is often a part of it, not always. You know, the birth of of the charisma thing in American history, at least. Was with the Great Awakening in the oh, I'm gonna get my dates wrong. I think it was the late 1700s. Okay, mid mid to late 1700s. Um, because it used to be that the ministers, you know, there was a there was like a set hierarchy, and they held a lot of control. The Puritans held a lot of control over who could preach. Mm. But then with the Great Awakening, it was like, everyone, anyone can preach. You don't need this go-between. You have a personal relationship with God, and you can... And so then it was like, you're a cult leader, and you're a cult leader, and you're a cult leader, and um, everyone gets their own group, right? All you have to do is go out and be charismatic. Mm-hmm. Um, and they these groups proliferated wildly. But yeah, the the charisma thing... I mean, look, we're we're all we we all get a little hypnotized by and a charismatic figure,
1: and we want to be mm-hmm. I want Perry Farrell on that stage with a bottle of wine mm-hmm. hopefully teaching me something, maybe not through the words or the vibe, but just him being there. You know? Isn't that why we love rock and roll?
0: Well, part of it, yeah. i I want to know why we love to worship. Where does that come from? What makes us want to worship, whether it's a higher power or a, another human? What's your guess? Um, I think we want someone to take care of us. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of our desire to join cults is, is very much connected to the fact that we come from a patriarchal... Culture, patriarchal society. I think we're looking for a, a dad figure, for mm-hmm. lack of a better phrase. Um, someone to be in charge and, and take care of everything.
1: Daddy, not not mommy.
0: In America. Mm-hmm. But that's part of why I'm so interested in groups that are run by women.
1: Yeah. Tell me about one of them.
0: Well, the Church Universal and Triumphant is one. Oh, really? Well, it was, it was originally... Uh, run by a man, but then he died, and his wife took over and developed the group and made it so much bigger hmm. than it was than it would have been, um, yeah. according to their son, uh, whom I interviewed. Oh, um, but yeah, she she's a, she was a remarkable woman. Um, a lot of charisma. She would stand on stage and receive dictations from the ascended masters who would speak through her for an, more than an hour. And she wasn't going, uh, um, I mean, it was just, she could just speak extemporaneously, presumably. I don't I think she was, I don't think she was practicing because she was, she believed this. I mean, that was one of the first questions I had for her son was like, how much of this was true belief? Or do you think any of it was a con? And he was like, no, she was a f- true believer. Hmm. Um, which is just incredible that she could go into that headspace um, because I don't believe she was actually receiving messages um,
1: so but she was channeling something, either her own thoughts, yeah. which is still hard to do as a comedian, you know it's yeah. hard to even do a good fifteen <laughs> <laughs> right yeah, so an hour fifteen that's really great. <laughs> Right? Yeah. Give that
0: woman an HBO special. Who's who's the
1: who's the guy who at the end of his deals would everybody would walk through the fire? Oh, I don't know. a uh, white guy. Big tall white guy.
0: Huh. Oh, are you talking you're not talking about the um self help? Yeah. Tony Robbins? Tony Robbins.
1: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. They say he would do hours and hours and hours. Yeah, he's a fascinating guy. And too. not even P. Wow. How is that possible? I think that's another reason he wins the money. Yeah. If you can stand up there and you've got to pee. I'll tell you, I saw the Rolling Stones once and I had to sit down. Mick, who was even ancient then, <laughs> still dancing around.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which
1: is why I idolize him.
0: You know, Tony Robbins might have a catheter. Don't make any assumptions about <laughs> or a diaper. his vitality. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, self-help groups are super interesting, and some of them are very cult-like. I mean, some of them are straight-up cults.
1: Okay, back to this woman.
0: Uh-huh, Elizabeth Clare Prophet.
1: Where, where did she do most of her work?
0: Well, they moved around quite a bit. They were in California for a while. They were in Colorado for a while. Um, and then they wound up in Montana, which is where they built a bunch of underground shelters for the upcoming nuclear war. Um, missile attack from the Soviet union was going to launch it and they would be safe with all their food they had saved. And they had enough to be underground for like seven years. She really grew the the group and they would mail out, you could um, pay to be a part of their mailing list and you would get cassettes recordings of her um, presentations, which were part dictations, part, you know, other, Mm -hmm. other stuff. Um, and I'm, I'm interested by what you said just now about um, cults can be a way to procrastinate. Did you use the word procrastinate? Mm-hmm. Yeah. To avoid. To avoid, yeah. Um, which just kind of unlocks something for me because I've always felt like uh, crises also come with a little bit of comfort because when there's a crisis – You have an excuse to push everything else in your life to the margins because you just have one focus. And then when the crisis is over, it's a little bit like, oh, God, now I have to deal with all this other stuff. Yeah. And that's making me think about what happened with this group. And what often happens with cults is that there's a crisis. There's an enemy. Mm. There's an upcoming tribulation. Right. And you have to prepare for it. And so nothing else matters. And so you put the rest of your life on hold mm-hmm. literally and you give them all your money and you give them all your time because what's more important than saving your soul? Well, in, or saving I, I, the world, which is what a lot of these groups tell their followers they're
1: doing. Oh, they have the power to save the world.
0: Yeah, well, if, if they're going to repopulate the world after Armageddon,
1: mm-hmm.
0: right? Or when, when you um, go even more secular groups like Nexium. They thought that spreading this, these um, mental health techniques, these therapy techniques that they worked on, that they were changing lives. The more people they could bring bring into this, the more lives they could change. The more, um, you know, and and then if if a problematic person has an awakening, then whoever else that person was harming is also now saved. I mean, yeah, they thought mm-hmm. they were saving the world.
1: about this uh you said there's three steps of uh or three por- parts that make you a cult and the first one a is a destructive cult yeah which destructive is,
0: yeah and and just to give credit i got that definition from a guy named uh, rick ross who's an anti-cult activist
1: god bless you rick ross shut up yeah
0: i know yeah shout up
1: um the first one though is um uh, mental oh undue influence undue influence i want to ask you about brainwashing yeah 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 That would fit into that circle, right?
0: Yeah. I don't believe in brainwashing. Um, A lot of people don't.
1: Are we wrong? Uh,
0: Yes and no. There was this huge cry of outrage from anti-cult activists um, saying, this is what's happening. We're all being brainwashed. And then that led to um, deprogramming. So in the 80s, there was this movement to kidnap people, people. From out of cults, at the request of their parents, your parent like you could pay a deprogrammer to go rip your child away from this group and deprogram them, and it often did not work. Really? No, the kid often the kids would go back. We now know that that that's that's not at all how to get someone out of a cult, <laughs> but at the time that was their best effort, and so um, then there was a big backlash against the deprogrammers. <laughs> And along the way, throughout all of this, um, a bunch of academics got together and decided we're going to figure out whether brainwashing is real or not. And they determined that it's not. <gasps> and so then all and so for example on Nightline, Elizabeth Clare Prophet says to Ted Koppel, "You know, brainwashing isn't real. That's been determined by blah blah blah." Like she schools him, nice. right? Because she knows the research. She's no dummy. Yeah. However. <laughs> Um, Undue influence is a real thing. Um, There are ways to mentally manipulate people. So maybe we can just like do away with the phrase brainwashing because all that does is lead people to go, oh, well, brainwashing isn't real. And it's like, all right, well, now you're just like avoiding the conversation and the question. So let's talk about what is happening.
1: And we all have uh, relatives who watch too much Fox News, buy into it, think that Obama is trying to eat babies or Hillary Clinton whoever it is and they they really believe that yeah because they're bombarded with it mhm so what's the best way to deprogram people then
0: um the the only way to get someone to change their beliefs is is for them to do it themselves no amount of talking at someone about it
1: hmm. is
0: is going to change their minds so Um, people often use the metaphor of a thread unraveling. Um, and so the advice is to keep communication open. Oh, like don't cut off your loved ones who have gone down rabbit holes. And if they try to cut you off, don't let them. Um, even if that means some amount of appeasement, Um, don't get into arguments with them because it's not going to change their mind. All it's going to do is push them away, Mm -hmm. which is really just pushing them deeper into the group and farther from reality. Hmm. So, um, you know, having like gentle conversations is, is recommended because sometimes the, you, some piece of information will get into their head and then that seed will grow. And then that's the thread that they'll start to pull and eventually come out.
1: Is there a difference between a liberal and a conservative in regards to cults?
0: Hmm. I mean, there certainly have been hard left cults, um, political cults for sure.
1: Those tend to be like communism and,
0: uh, well, I mean, people consider Marxism to be a millennial, um, so apocalyptic, I should say, Mm -hmm. uh, Group Same kind of thinking, even though it was secular, um, which is fascinating. So communism, Nazism are all millennial movements. Millennial means um, that there's going to be an end to this history, um, at which point a new and greater awakening and and better world will appear um, following some kind of cataclysm.
1: The reason I ask is I feel like... Liberals will eat their own. we will rebel against um for example, you did i think you did a a project with monica lewinsky's uh
0: i i uh wrote an article um about a documentary that came out. I interviewed her for it yeah,
1: and i think I feel like people who voted for Clinton were pissed at him for that, even though it was not illegal hmm personal. Mm -hmm. Uh, Both parties were down, but not cool. Yeah. Even though we may have loved him as a president and even as a person, even as a saxophonist. (laughs) But that was too far. And I don't see that same sort of shame happening on the other side. Am I crazy to think this that that Democrats are a little rougher? actually a lot harder on their own their own leaders uh, who's 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 the comedian up in Minnesota? Yeah, yeah. it's al Al Franken Al Franken Al Franken was gone, yeah, yeah, yeah. for a joke. I mean, am I being a sexist man? Do we agree well,
0: that i I he think, probably
1: shouldn't have been kicked out for that,
0: you know, I'm of two minds of it. I um. I think it was a, a gross and stupid joke that was beneath him and was really disappointing. I was very disappointed. Hmm. Um, yeah, I was very disappointed. And I would but but I was also sort of like, I don't know. Like do we really need to get rid of him? He's doing good work. I yeah. agree with his ideas and appreciate his efforts. But then a friend of mine was like, I don't know. I can I can think of like a dozen women in politics right now who would be doing an even better job than he is. And I would like to see them in his seat. And I was like, that's a valid point. I mean, I I think I appreciate that in the examples you've provided, um, liberals are actually holding themselves to the standards they've set out for other people, which is not what's happening when uh, people on the right um, shame their daughters for having sex Mm
1: -hmm. and then
0: turn around and don't care that, you know, um, their leader did something a hundred times worse. Right. Um, I find that incredibly frustrating.
1: Well, also back to Clinton and Lewinsky. Yeah. The right would say he lied to Congress. He deserved to be impeached. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, the Washington Post has hundreds and hundreds of Trump lies and the response from the right is, well, you can't believe the Washington Post. Mm-hmm. Well, one of the lies he said was, "I'm, I'm going to release my taxes." Yeah. So it's not like the Washington Post made this up. I think it's so hard to be independent these days, hmm. because when we were younger, there there was there was a, a, a difference between a Republican and a Democrat politically. Now I think it's a cultural thing, and and it's hard to say. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm. Fiscally conservative, because what does that even mean right now? Your husband's a teacher. Yeah, they don't want they don't want teachers to be teachers anymore on the right.
0: We've gotten very divided. Yeah, it's become very divided, um, which is uh, again cult like thinking. Us. Is it? Yeah, us versus them. I mean, that's really the root of it, right? Mm-hmm. In order for you to be chosen, there has to be, by definition, someone who's not chosen, right? Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you can't. There is no such thing. So, um, and that that really goes all the way back to when we were living in 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 small bands. I mean, that that goes back to the relative we shared with chimpanzees, right? Um, the one there are there are two species on the planet who exhibit a certain behavior. Um, that behavior is groups of males get together and uh, go out on on what scientists call raiding parties, which is where they um, wander to the edge of their territory. Every uh, group has a territory. They wander to the edge of it, and then they push beyond it. And they push into the territory of a neighboring group. And if slash when they find a member of that group, they um assault
1: Mm
0: -hmm. um and the species who do that are chimpanzees and humans and that's it yeah fish don't do this no huh and um researchers anthropologists have studied it quite a bit um and because of this behavior uh, we you really had to band together with your in-group to protect yourself against raiding parties meanwhile your group was also also had raiding parties but let's yeah. put that aside for a second um so you really had to band together and in order to succeed against this enemy required cooperation and it's that cooperation that led humans to evolve as quickly as we did so it's not our brains <laughs> our, our brains are actually not that much smarter than other creatures. Oh. For example, if you dropped us in the middle of nowhere without any tools or we're, clothing, we're dead. Yeah. We're dead immediately. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what caused us to evolve so quickly was cooperation, was working together, was yes. democracy. Huh. Right. If you want to think about it that way. Yeah. Um, however, that cooperation and democracy was all wrapped up ultimately in war. And so that kind of push and pull between um, working together versus fighting has always been has always been with us. And I think that's what's at the root of cult-like thinking. Hmm. Um, and you see a lot of social norm policing in cults. Um, social norm policing being, um, you know, uh, you're tasked to tattle if you see other people breaking the rules. And some of the rules are like, you know, you can only eat certain foods or wear certain clothing. I mean, um, you know, they leaders create a ton of rules, uh, mm-hmm. which is a which is a form of undue influence, which is a form of mind control. Mm-hmm. And so then social norm policing comes into play. And that's social norm policing is a way of saying who's in group and who's out group. Mm-hmm. So years ago, um, there were groups that would literally change the shape of their babies' heads from birth they would put the baby on a board and so the head would get flat in the back so everyone in their community could be recognized immediately so if someone came in their group who was not from their community they could tell immediately who that person was and so that's another form of social norm policing and children from the age of two have um been witnessed by researchers exhibiting social norm policing you tell you know you say this is the way you do it this is not the way you do it and then the researcher leaves the room and the kids are yelling no that's not you're doing it wrong hey teacher someone's doing it wrong i mean that's what tattletales are Wow. so at any rate i don't know where i was going with that i love this book already (laughs) (laughs) well i'm super interested in the evolutionary biology because i want people to understand where this comes from because when you don't understand where it comes from. It's really easy to vilify each other, and vilifying each other is the whole problem, <laughs> you mm-hmm. know. And I, I really want to approach all of these groups and all of the members of these groups um, with compassion, mm-hmm. because victim blaming has been a problem with cult stuff from the start. You know, only crazy people join these groups, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Well, I think as maybe we've seen since 2016 or since 2015. Um, that that's not the case. Mm-hmm. So...
1: Okay, so let's let's wrap up with um, religion. Oh,
0: great. One of my favorite topics, clearly.
1: You were a religion studies major. I was
0: a religious studies major, yeah.
1: At uh, University of North Carolina.
0: At Chapel Hill, yep. Uh,
1: is that a separate campus than where Michael Jordan was at?
0: Uh, that was the same one. That's okay. where he was, yeah.
1: Um, what got you into it? I see a Bible over here.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's one right next to you, too. I'm surprised your genes haven't caught on fire.
1: Because I'm a sinner? So I'm a dirty sinner?
0: <laughs> Guilty.
1: I am a dirty sinner. God bless you. <laughs> what got you into it?
0: Uh, just because it was so interesting. I, I realized that my liberal arts education was a privilege and an opportunity and not necessarily a career builder. And I thought, well, if that's the case, then I'm going to study whatever is the most interesting thing to me, that I will never have a chance to study again.
1: <laughs> Did your parents make you go to church?
0: Uh, we all went to church, yes. What church? Presbyterian.
1: I don't know anything about them.
0: Um, Is
1: there good music?
0: Similar to similar to um, Episcopalians, pretty similar. I mean, they wouldn't say that, but in the in the so grand liberal. scheme of things, yes, liberal Protestantism, yeah.
1: Sometimes a female preacher?
0: Yep, mm-hmm.
1: Good music or bad music?
0: Beautiful music. Really? Beautiful organs, incredible choir. I mean, it's an old church. It's a beautiful church. Um, and the music is the best part. Yeah. And I loved being a part of the choir because I love singing.
1: You were in the choir? Yet.
0: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I was in the choir. I was also in the bell choir. That was fun, too.
1: The little handbells? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that. Uh-huh. It was great. Especially Christmas time. Yeah. If honestly, Although I will tell you, college is what got me into it, too.
0: Oh really? Yeah. College turns you religious. Yes. Okay. Tell uh, me more.
1: Bible is literature class. Oh yeah. I, I took did. two of them. Uh huh. But I also took Zen, which I also loved. Yeah. I had this French guy who never would button his shirts, and somehow this guy was an expert on Asian culture. You know, India, China, and Japan. Uh huh. And Korea, and so like. Everything Zen, he just knew somehow. Uh huh. Which I mean, to be a professor at a UC, yeah, sure, he's a scholar. You he's, know what he trained for ten years, yeah. But he did it in such a like suave way that I was like, "This is why professors get laid." <laughs> this guy, like, talk about charisma. This guy oh, really yeah, had it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It. But on my Bible literature classes, what I liked about it was I wasn't forced to go to to church. I was not an altar boy or any of that kind of thing. But but. Anytime I went, I felt something, hmm. and I don't. And and it, that was a mystery to me. Even the stories were kind of a mystery because it wasn't shoved in my face. Yeah. And and so when I finally read even Adam and Eve, and it's two pages, and I was like, that's it, two pages. Yeah. All these stories about yeah. Adam and Eve and the snake, and now I can actually read the details. And as readers and writers, we love those details. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and. and it also hit me late in my college career as an English major, where, we, where I had been taught what makes a good story, the hero's journey, as you say. Uh-huh. That's all in the Bible, too. And I was like, yeah. but they didn't go to school. Who wrote this story? You know?
0: Yeah, well, a lot of it was, was ancient myths that had been passed down for forever, right? right? Yeah. And so translation, Especially the lose... oldest books in the Old Testament, yeah.
1: So you lose the details as it goes from one person to another. And, and I, and I saw that when we read Basho and that's what I read when we read Zen too. Like, Mm -hmm. like it was boiled down, but these stories were great. Yeah. Is that what got you into it too?
0: Oh yeah. I love myth. I love myth. (laughs) I love fairy tale. Um, yeah, the stories are beautiful and the story of Adam and Eve and the, um, the first books of Genesis are beautiful. And, and in my religion is literature class, Mm -hmm. um, I'm forgetting the name for this kind of poem, but, but that's what the Genesis story is. Um, And they were, it was a common poetic structure at the time where the first verse and the last verse uh, contain only one character, God. And then the second verse and the second to last verse contain one more character. And as you're going toward the center, the middle verse contains the most characters, God, Adam, Eve, the snake, the tree, on and on and on. And so there, and and I was just like, "What? <laughs> wow! Like that's incredible." I wasn't taught that in Bible school. What? What? That's that. It's poetry.
1: Suddenly, North Carolina is better than UC Santa Barbara. <laughs> I didn't get taught that.
0: I'm gonna
1: well, read this again. We had the
0: whole semester just on Genesis, so
1: which is awesome. we had some more time. Have you read uh, the R. Crumb version of Genesis? No, where he draws. Every person individually. Okay. So even in the flood, all these people. Wow. Are, and so what he did was he would watch movies, like biblical movies, uh-huh. and freeze frame it and draw those people. Huh. All these extras.
0: From and, like the Charlton Heston movies? Yeah. Oh, boy. And so
1: it took him, I think, um, it's actually an inspiration to this podcast. It took huh. him like six years to finish because he, with ink and pen, he drew. Wow. He's an illustrator. Yeah. And he wasn't even into the Bible. His wife was. And he wanted to make her happy. Huh. What a great husband. <laughs> Let's wrap it up with this about the Bible. Okay. Since you're a scholar.
0: I mean, I'm a self-taught scholar, sure. You, what does your degree say? Well, I have a bachelor's degree, yes.
1: In? Religious studies. All right. Okay. Well, then, it doesn't have to be about the Bible. In any of this religious text that you studied,
0: uh-huh.
1: share with us something that... If you've made it through this podcast an hour in you're an intellectual person uh, audience, you're also very attractive oh but you but you listen because you want to learn uh-huh so from a religious studies scholar uh-huh, what should we read that we probably haven't read?
0: Oh boy
1: that clicked for you while you were in school studying this stuff that you're so glad that you read yeah. it in school
0: um the the history and the myth. So um, I read a book called, like, I think it was called The Historical Life of Jesus, maybe. And it's all just what we know. What we know from records and... Um, Non-biblical records? Correct. Oh. Yeah. And other adjacent texts, contemporary
1: texts. Was he really only 33 when he died? Uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure that's true. Was his mom a virgin? <laughs> what, L-O-L. what did you learn in this book about jesus uh
0: well I, I i just love the context and so another book that's sitting next to you is about um revelation in context
1: oh my god the hardest of them all
0: a book of revelation is fascinating first of all it's basically only in the bible by mistake because they thought the author of it john was the same john of the gospel of john but it's not it's a different john awesome
1: yeah. The Otherwise, they would have thrown it right out?
0: I mean, there's a good chance, yeah. Also, there was like one power player who was really interested in it for his own career, and he was pushing for it in ways that might have gotten it in any anyway.
1: I would feel like the church wanted it there only for the end, which is...
0: It makes a convenient end, yeah. Which is... Uh, but in retrospect, has it been that convenient?
1: <laughs> well, they knew that, first of all, nobody was going to read it because they only taught it in Latin forever. Hmm. And so the the people who could rebel would never get to to that part. The last line is something like, um, if you add anything to this text, you will get the curses. Uh, Yeah, which was
0: very common. Everyone ended their... their Oh, really? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's the sort of stuff you learn when you read about these books in historical context.
1: I should add, I should end that, I should put that in all my my books at the end?
0: Yeah, put it in your podcast. (laughs) Say it right now. If you add to this podcast. (laughs) Listen up, Jordan. (laughs) Huh. So lots of people put that in there. Yeah. Also, lots of people were writing books like Revelation. Everyone had a Revelation. They were all different.
1: Were they as trippy as that one? No. Locusts the size of horses being
0: ridden by other locusts? I don't know what it was. so trippy and it's so violent. It's incredibly violent. And it's just about Rome. It's just about Rome because Rome was oppressing
1: them. So it was all uh, symbolic towards what they were experiencing.
0: Yes. It's a, um, uh, what's the word? Allegory.
1: Mm-hmm. Hmm. Hmm. Tell me one more thing about Jesus that I probably don't know. Oh, gosh.
0: Um, Okay, here's an interesting theory. So uh, there was a rule. I'm not going to remember all the specifics, but there was a rule in the Roman army That you couldn't backhand a subject. That was too violent. You had to fronthand them. And so there's a theory that when Jesus said, turn the other cheek, it was not pacifism. It was a tactic of an activist. He was an activist. Yeah. Because if you turn the other cheek, in order for them to hit you, they have to backhand you. And then you can get them in trouble. I love it. Yeah.
1: All right, Jordan might c- cut this out, and you may not even want to answer it. I referenced the fact that you went gray during uh-huh. COVID, and that's because I scrolled through your um, your Instagram. You went to a wedding at uh, a baseball stadium. I did, yeah. Which fed my baseball dreams.
0: Oh, it was really fun. Will
1: I ever find a wife that wants to get married at a baseball field? <laughs> was she just a very special uh, person that was okay with that? Was it a- her
0: idea? Oh, yeah, it was her idea. That's how it's got to be, right? I think so. Well, I don't know. I, I saw some other someone else I know got or not know, but like a a Facebook acquaintance got married in a in a stadium.
1: Because this is the wife's most important day.
0: Well, yes, that's a good point. Yeah, yeah, it probably does. So have we to should be feel the wife. bad
1: for the woman who's not her idea to get married at a baseball stadium.
0: I mean, maybe.
1: <sighs> I have so many questions about that wedding, uh-huh. including you're in the batting cage wearing a very sparkly dress. Oh yeah. Is it hard to hit a yes. ball?
0: But I did. I think I hit three or four of them.
1: Was it a pitching machine?
0: <laughs> yeah. Awesome. it was really fun. No, but it was like the whole game where like you can see oh. the, there's like a video game component up on the big screen. And so, and then depending on where the ball hits the wall, they tell you whether you like get a run or if it's foul. Are or... you good at at baseball? No. No. Oh. no, I'm terrible. But you're a good sport. I, there you go. okay. Um, let's wrap it up with this. (laughs) Going gray. Oh, yeah. Why? Oh, um, you know, I started going gray uh, in college. It's, it's hereditary. Uh, and so I was, I I had gray coming in. Early,
1: early gray is hereditary for you. Yes. In your family. Yes. Okay.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so in my 20s, in my improv days, I had gray hair, Um, some. The way that most women my age have gray now, I had in my early 20s. Yeah. Uh, And it was cool and unique. And also, I was like, didn't even wear makeup in those years. Yeah. I was very much like, women shouldn't have to wear makeup, you know, which is true. I still agree with that. But also, now that I'm older, I'm like, "Mm, it helps a lot. (laughs) Um, But then, so when I was 30, I started dyeing it. Because when I was 30, I was like, "Mm, now it's going to age me. It's no longer this cool, interesting, unique thing. Mm -hmm. But then COVID happened, and I actually saw what was going on. I didn't know what it looked like. I didn't know what was going on under there until COVID. And then I was kind of like, oh, wow, this is cool. I found it interesting and unique again.
1: Uh, So when you... Because
0: I'm really
1: gray. Yeah, but you look less gray in person. Okay. Than you did in your in your photos, your most recent photos.
0: I think it's probably the hairstyle, but yeah.
1: Your handsome husband? Uh-huh. What was his reaction?
0: He's into it. Great. Yeah.
1: Yeah, that was a factor for sure. Is there anything you want to promote?
0: Mm. I mean, I guess go follow me on Instagram. I'm going to start um, putting out content related to all of the fascinating things I'm learning because I'm learning so much more than I could ever put in a book, so I need to at least put it out into the world. Um, again, it's the tour guide in me. I find an interesting nugget of information and I have to share it. Some people would call it a know-it-all. <laughs> Some people would describe it that way. Um, but yeah, so um, Instagram at Jane Borden. Yeah. Simple as that. Simple as that. The book is going to be called what? Cults Like Us. Wow. U.S. Uh, US. Cults Like Us. How Doomsday Drives America.
1: Oh, that's a good one. Thanks. Did you think of the subtitle?
0: I thought of the subtitle. My agent thought of the title. That is awesome.
1: How great was Jane? You know who we'd say yes to? Our Patreons. When you stoke us, you're saying, Tony, Jordan, you've never tried to brainwash us. Here's a bunch of money. So shout out to our Patreons, Nancy Rommelman, Sean Atlow, Matt Mills, Sean Wallace, Greg and Molly, Jamie Taylor, Mark Johnson, Kira Ann, Barney Grinky. Ben Welsh, Jen Adams, Trevor Wilson, Bree Wild, Dougie Gyro, Christina Up North, Robin Carey, and Adam Shorn. Want to support this fine podcast that features beautiful souls like Jane? Go to patreon.com slash here in LA and give till it hurts. We're also looking for, always, for cool guests. If you know someone like Jane who lives in a neighborhood in LA, not a city, and they have a story to tell or an expertise to teach me about, have them write me at busblog at gmail.com. Also, shout out to our Angelinos. To be an Angelino, all you got to do is PayPal or Venmo, 25 bucks or more, and we will list you on the Here in L.A. website or Medium blog forever. Just send your hard-earned cash to busblog at gmail.com. Wanna support us, but you blew your wad on a graphic you should never have commissioned because you stole the title and you knew you did, but you just went for it anyways, cause YOLO or something, you can still help. Post your favorite episode on your Facebook. OMG, post too. Tweet something nice about us. Next time you see me tweet about an episode, retweet it. And for God's sake, tell your friends. Tell them how here in LA is spelled, and then it's on Apple Podcasts and Google and even Amazon. Here in LA is produced by myself, Tony Pierce, and a man who I'd follow anywhere he goes, Jordan Katz. Editing, mixing, and music supervision by Jordan Katz. Songs by Orgone and Jordan Katz. Special thanks to Cindy for creating the logo, Jen for inspiring this, and Abraham Lincoln, to whom we name so many things. Fine by me! Bye, bye.